through 19. Acts 9, 10 through 19. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Behold, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judah for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Oh, Keyline Clan! Good to have you guys. That's great. I got a few, uh, have a few um, papers here. I got to spread them out. So I can see where I'm going, where you're going with me this morning. We've been wrestling around in the book of Colossians, trying to figure out what it is that uh, the Lord wants us to be by finding out who we are. And so if you've been following that, um, you'll know that um, in the book of Colossians, I'm struggling through that book, have been for, for a few months. I'm trying to commit some of it, well, the whole book to memory. I uh, found out that to be a very <clears throat> daunting task for an old fellow that's uh, mind's a little dim sometimes. But uh, in doing that, it's challenged me in my walk, and as it's challenged me, I want to challenge you and encourage you uh, in the Word as well. So, before we get into all that, let us look to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing upon opening the word this morning. Our Father and our God, it is a joy and a privilege to open the Bible, to study, to come together as fellow believers, saints, and faithful brethren, and to rejoice in who we are. Thank you, Father, for this morning's song set. Daniel and the rest have brought us tremendous reminders of who we are. And oftentimes, Lord, as I have a sense as we sing these songs, and even in my own life, 
I look at those words and say, is that really a reality in my life? Or, or is that attainable for me to die to self, to throw my selfishness upon the ashes of the waves of the sea and to live for you with, with a purpose and an excitement and an enthusiasm and a passion. So Lord, help us to move those things from being just ideas to being a reality in our daily walk with you. Help us to understand those things even as we look at the scripture this morning in Christ's name. Amen. I had Bill read about um, this little episode of Ananias going to, to uh, restore Paul's eyesight um, because it mentioned a couple things that I really uh, wanted to talk about this morning, and that is what is in a name? What's in a name? And the great Saul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, who had written permission to travel about the empire and to take people captive who were followers of the way, Christianity. And on his way to do that, of course, he was knocked down and uh, the Lord appeared to him and he's going to go from Saul of Tarsus very educated, very revered Pharisee and feared to Paul the Apostle. And in verse 15 there in Acts, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel to bear my name. So his identity is going to get changed, and soon afterwards they're going to quit calling him Saul of Tarsus, and they're going to call him Paul the Apostle. He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. We started out this little series a few Sundays ago by calling it Dangerous Christianity. The idea that if we actually put our life in the hands of Jesus Christ, it may cost us. It will cost us. It costs us our own will. It costs us our own plans, our own directions. And as a young person growing up, uh, and you're ra maybe you're raised in a Christian home, and, and you hear all these things, and you, oh yeah, we're Christians, and then one day you come to the realization that, ooh, this faith needs to be my faith, not my mom's or my dad's faith. And then you begin to wrestle with, what's it like? to fully trust the creator of this universe with my life. I have a lot of plans. I, I have a lot of ambition. I have a lot of things that I want to do in life. I have a, maybe a career I want to seek after or 
uh, heaven forbid, a lady I'd like to pursue or a man I would like to call his, my attention, his attention to me. Uh, all these things that go through our head as young people, and, and they're good and they're great, and God give us that energy and ambition and zest for life. And then we begin to say, hmm, how does God fit into it? How do I fit into his plan? And there's kind of a sad thing that when you've been in the ministry a number of years or just not in the ministry, just been a Christian and gone to church a number of years, you see people that started out declaring that they had trusted Christ as their Savior and then we pick up on them years later and we see them living in a way that is anything but Christian. It's so far from the Lord. And you wonder, are they, are they really a Christian? Are they really saved? And, and that's not ours to judge, whether another person's, they have to determine those things in their own heart. But for one thing, I know for sure, if they're living that way, that if they are a Christian, they do not know who they are in Christ. They have missed the great wonder of being transformed and placed under all the graces of the Lord Jesus Christ. We mentioned last couple Sundays that Lewisberry Schaefer uh, had come up with a list of 33 of the riches of God's grace. In other words, those are things that happen to us when we put our trust in Christ. They're not something that we do. They're not something that get bigger or grow or progressive. Um, they are eternal. For instance, when I became a Christian, at, as far as I can recollect, at six, seven, eight years old, I became a son of the Lord Jesus and God the Father. I, I was placed in his, into his family. Now, I have not always been a real good son, but I've always been a son. You see, that doesn't change. My sins have been forgiven from the past, present, and future, and that never changes. Those are things that are done to me and for me by a gracious Jesus Christ who has gone to the cross for me. My sins have been forgiven. I was at an enmity with God, and he reconciled me to himself. Now, these things are also things that are not necessarily do I feel them, but as I study the scripture, I learn who I am. And so I have a new name. At men's breakfast Tuesday morning, Steve Kearns and I were discussing uh, that Sunday's sermon and that he had had an opportunity to share it with a young man. And in Colossians chapter 3, where we were, and we'll get back to this morning, this statement is made. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Now, those are instructions coming to us after two chapters in Colossians of telling us who we are. But our discussion was around the idea that a young man looking to the future, preparing for a life's work, uh, a busy schedule, all kinds of things going on in his life, can he set his mind on things above? How does that work and not on things of the earth? How do, is it, and so there, there kind of becomes a question, <clears throat> kind of a dichotomy in our lives sometimes of we have the spiritual and we have the ordinary secular in our lives. And somehow they don't get meshed together like they're intended as we study and look in the New Testament especially as we see it in Colossians chapter 1 and 2, um, Ephesians first three chapters, Romans first eight chapters, our salvation, all the things that is done for us, and who we are in Christ. Give a little family history. And I, I, I wrestled with this this week, just, just trying to think about this. Why is it hard to think on the things of God when we're a Christian. Um, my grandfather moved into this area in the late 1800s. I'm older than I look, and my dad was older than he looked, and uh, my grandfather was very old. He, he moved into the Palisado area in the late 1800s. And uh, that's why you see roads like Boyle Road, uh, they, they had property out there, and they came from San Francisco by, from Ireland, actually. Uh, my grandfather was a small boy when his dad brought him from Ireland. And my grandfather, uh, in the late 1800s, had a, a little sales route, if you please. He left Palisadro with horses and wagons and traveled on up to Bella Vista, and then eventually over to Bernie, and then eventually over to Alturas, if you know this, your geography here, and then over the hill into Surprise Valley, and then from Cedarville up to Fort Bidwell, over the hill from Fort Bidwell to Lakeview, and bought goods there and brought them this way. So he took things from the valley here, goods and supplies and whatnot, and traveled and sold them uh, on that little route. Now, I don't have a real good car, but that still takes me quite a while to, to do that in a car. He did it with a team of horses. Um, then uh, my dad was born the, in 1908, uh, the sixth or seventh child of 10, and that became Walter Boyle. He became Walter Boyle. And then, a number of years later, he married Eunice Joan Wilsey. She gave up her Wilsey name and became a Boyle. In 1938, my brother was born and he became Dennis Boyle. In 42, I was born and I became Jerry Boyle. And in 1964, I, this is really interesting for you all, I'm sure. In 19, 
1964, my wife, Patricia Proplish, gave up her last name and became a Boyle, and that was in 1964, if I have this right. We were married, and then there's a, there was a Mark Boyle and a Jeff Boyle and a Becky Boyle who gave up her name to become a Bloom. Now, what's that all about? Well, here's what I think it's all about. And I'll throw this in. You say, well, you're, are you proud of your heritage? I'm neither, if I was going to be proud of part of that heritage, it's probably on my mom's side, <laughs> the, the Wilsey side. They, had, they were a little more uh, tuned in spiritually and whatnot. Nothing the matter with the Boyle clan, but I'm not telling you about it to be proud of it. I'm just telling you that that's my identity. And wherever I go, I'm reminded of it all the time. I have credit cards that say Boyle on them. I, I, if I sign a check, it says Boyle. If I, if I what? If I go down to Mark's school and, and he introduces me, all the kids call him Mr. Boyle, and I say to the kids, I'm the real Mr. Boyle. <laughs> and I go to Jeff's school, and he's the coach, and they say Mr. Boyle, and I tell them the same thing. I'm the real Mr. Boy. I have no trouble remembering and thinking that I'm a boy. It's obvious. It sticks out all over the place. Okay? Um, Patty has no problem knowing that one day she was accomplished, but she became a boy, and that's 50 something years later. She still is. So why is it that we become Christians and we have a hard time of knowing who we are and realizing who we are? You see, that, that family name is going to stick with me until I die. But the name that really means something to me now is that little name that they were, Christians were first called in Antioch, Christians. He's a Christian. And I would hope that as I live out my life and as my kids and family and whatnot live out their life, that the most important name that they have is not their given name here on this earth, but that name that they took on when they became a Christian, little Christ, Christian. And that I would be known by that. So that's, I think, what Paul was trying to get across to us. Turn with me to... Um, Colossians chapter 3, if you're not already there. So he says, you've been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Set your mind on the things above. Let me just quickly read through some of those things out of the first two chapters. We've done this before, but I do it again just to refresh our memory. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, 
he writes to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. That's who these people are now. They're saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Their lives are changed. In verse 12, cutting into the verse, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inherent inheritance of the saints in light. Now they have a new inheritance, an eternal inheritance in Christ. That's who he is. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's where we were. Now here's where we are. Is that move your heart to thankfulness in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins we've been bought back our sins are forgiven verse 20 he um, verse 21 and although we were formerly alienated and hostile in mind engaged in evil deeds yet he has now reconciled you to his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Even though we were alienated, and some of us were alienated quite a long time, into, even into our adult life, and then we had, got rescued from the domain of darkness. Some of us were alienated just as small children, and we came to Christ, and he became our savior, and his blood paid for our sins, and so, uh, but we were all formerly alienated, hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. Now he's reconciled us in his fleshly body through death. Not only that, he presents us holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Again, this is who we are in Christ. This is what Paul was trying to tell us. In verse 27, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. As we've come in this morning and we sit and we sing and Dan leads us in these songs, I hope you're thrilled with the idea that Jesus Christ is living in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. You have been bought with a price you are his peculiar people. A great possession. In fact, the scripture even goes so far as to say that we are Christ's inheritance. God gave us the Christ as a present. We are a present to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how all that works, but that's what God's doing. That's what his great love is doing for us. Now, how come we don't realize that? How, how, how come we don't live in that like, like we should? And I just was thinking about some practical things to mention this morning. Um, why, as a young people and even older people, do we have trouble setting our mind on, on these things? Well, I think partly it is due because Within Christianity and within our churches, we kind of stop at when people become a Christian. 
we become Christians, but not really disciples of Christ. And I think what the Lord's asking us to do, and, and many of us have been discipled, and in your homes you're doing a great job. I'm just saying in general terms, when I see people falling away from the faith, and young people growing up and not following the Lord, I think they settled for the idea that, well, I've trust, I've trust Christ as my Savior, and therefore I'm guaranteed to heaven, and so that's enough of that. Let's get on with life. Well, that's a very dangerous place because Paul writes to the Colossians, make sure you don't fall away from the hope of the gospel you got to stand firm in the hope of the gospel. And so what that means is, and Paul was saying it here, well, let's go to uh, chapter 3, the last few verses, or, or verse 12, actually. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So these are, the, these are the obedience things that come from the blessings that God has given us. He says in verse 15, or, or 14, beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts in which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And here's, here's what I think in our homes, in our, in our church, and our, our, our fellowship experiences, we really have to concentrate on this. In raising our children and young people, uh, young families, it's not just good enough to introduce your kids or have your kids introduced to Jesus Christ. They have to have the word of Christ richly dwell within them. You have to know who you are in Christ. They have to know who they are. And the many blessings that come with what God has done for us. It goes on to say, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him. You see, in he, when he's writing, turn to, um, oh, okay, it's, it's just a little before that. In, in your Bibles, turn to verse 11 in chapter 3. Verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. If you take a little time to think about the Colossian church, Paul is telling them that you've all come from different directions. The Greeks were kind of the elite, the educated uh, the Jews were probably more of the business people, and it's a sheep industry and a clothing industry and all that went along with that there in that town. But then there were the barbarians. That was a traveling area you traveled through. Uh, Scythians was the was the one of the worst nomadic, brutal tribes there was. And then he says, slave and free man. Imagine 
people from each walk of life like that, coming to know Christ and coming into the church. And so they have these tensions. They had to be educated. Paul, that's what he's doing here. He's taking them back and letting them know who they are. So in that church, he says, or in that fellowship, in their lives, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Our homes need to reflect those truths right there. Our homes and our gathering together in the body of Christ need to reflect that. I've often said that the church needs to look like Bible camp. Our homes need to look like Bible camp. And you say, well, you know, Bible camp. You, you can't always be at Bible camp. No, you can't always be at Bible camp. Turn back with me to Acts. Well, I want to show you something. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Now, I, I'm going to, this is a little hypothetical this morning, but I, I want to throw this, some challenges out to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, that's what we have. That's what the New Testament is. It's the apostles' teaching. and to fellowship and to interacting with one another in the body of Christ. It's talking about the new Christians. To the breaking of bread and to prayer could be talking about uh, communion, could be talking about corporate prayer. These things can happen in the family, in the home just as well. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. They had the apostles there, and so naturally that's uh, what would be taking place. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began to selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. And we know the situation there, uh, that there was persecution and whatnot, and and people were losing their jobs and everything else, and the Christians were taking care of each other. But there's a great principle here of not hoarding our stuff for ourselves, but to taking our things and sharing them with each other and supporting one another and not letting anybody be hungry or cold or, or homeless. No. And all those who had believed were together and had things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, sharing them anyone might have need. Day by day, continually with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It sounds quite a bit like camp. 
where the concentration is on the things of the Lord. Now, I just want to go over a few things that happen at camp. Can you bring Bible camp to your home? What are some of the things that happen at Bible camp? Well, one of the things that happens at Bible camp is you start early in the morning, and there's devotions. There's a, there's a turning your eyes to the things of the Lord. There's another really strange thing that happens at Bible camp. They have meals together. Ah, now I know, I know. Crazy. Family have meals together. One of the great um, joys of Bible camp is coming into the dining hall and sitting down with your cabin and enjoying the food, but talking with one another, horsing around, interacting with one another. That, that's one of the things that happens at Bible camp. That's one of the things, young people, that are raising your kids. You've got to set time aside to have meals together. What else happens at Bible camp? Well, you say, well, they play games. Yeah, they play games. They have fun. But I want to tell you something. Some of the people that enjoy Bible camp the most are the staff. And they play very little games. They just work a lot. But they enjoy it. What is that? Because you're working together as a family. You're working together uh, as a group. You're accomplishing something together, and it's for a high purpose. It's for the purpose of serving Christ, advancing the kingdom, sharing the faith with those unsaved people that are there. Yeah. Another thing that happens at Bible camp, and uh, Josh, my grandson, just shared with me, he had a cabin at junior highs, and junior high boys, no, and they were freshmen, freshmen in a high school camp. And he was telling me about one boy um, that he had asked about how, where he was spiritually and whatnot, and the boy said, well, I'm, I'm considering these things. And, and Josh said, okay. And Josh said, well, just let me pray for you. I'll, I'll pray for you that I can, you can, I'll help, God will help you with the understanding of these things. And so Josh said, I just, I just prayed with him, and I just asked God to help him uh, understand uh, his need for salvation. And, and, um, and then I prayed in my prayer that if he had um, any questions, that he would talk to me. And, and so I said amen, and we started to go on with the conversation, and the young man said, well, can I talk to you now? And so the boy said, I, I need to trust Christ as my Savior. And so he led him in a prayer there to trust Christ as a Savior. Well, one of the things that happens at Bible camp is that there's people who listen to you. Yeah. They listen to you at the dinner table. There's a counselor there who is aware of you and what's going on in your life and who's trying to hear and see what 
he might be able to pick up on that would help you in your situation. So many kids are coming to camp from broken homes, uh, tough situations, and so the counselors and the other staff are instructed to listen, see what's going on. You know, I, I think that that's important in the home. It's not just how can I get you to the next sporting event or how can I get you to the next club or school or whatever it is, but it's what's going on? What are the kind of things that are really challenging in your life? What's, what's bugging you? How can I help? How can I, how can I pray for you? I don't always have to have an answer as a parent or as a counselor or a confidant. I don't always have to, wait. oh, you just get, tell me your troubles and before you're halfway through, I'm gonna tell you what your problem is and how to solve it. No, it's not necessary. Oftentimes it's listening and then praying and then being available and following up on that to see what happens. You see, uh, my last uh, experience at camp this summer was leaving a high school camp. Um, I'd gone up and visited on a Thursday and they were going into their evening service and I was getting ready to go home as they started their service and I, I couldn't quite go yet because Dan and others were up there leading music. and. What is that dinosaur thing? Dan, where we are? What, what was that? What, what was that? Yeah. What? What? what what's, it, what's it? What's going on in that song? God made a dinosaur. Uh, 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 a what? <laughs> uh, it's a silly song. Should never sing, sing it at a Bible camp. It, it was so much fun. And there were 118 high school kids, some of them standing on chairs, some of them so cool you couldn't hardly stand it. Senior in high school, you know. Got girls around me, you know. And, and you know what? They couldn't help but sing. They, they, could, they couldn't help but have fun. It, I, I got my camera.